Welcome to the Female Millennial Entrepreneur Podcast, the show by and for female millennial entrepreneurs who are building and running thriving, successful businesses while living life to the fullest. I'm your host, Alessandra Polina. If you've considered doing some media outreach for your brand, but been daunted by not knowing how to get in touch with the right writers, I made something for you. It's my free how to get almost anyone's email address cheat sheet. You can download it at polinapr.com slash DIY slash email address, or find the link in the show notes here. It will help you find email addresses for anyone you want to contact while doing media outreach for your business, saving you time and energy by using all my tricks for quickly finding the contact info for anyone on your list. Now on to the show. This episode was one of my first recorded during the beginning of this stay at home order. You may be able to hear my family a bit in the background who had not yet been trained to stay quiet during Zoom recordings at that point in time. My podcast editor has done amazing things to make this episode sound as good as possible, but there's only so much our equipment and software can do for us. So bear with me if you hear some background noise a little bit here and there in this episode. I'm so excited to have Meredith Farley on today. She's actually the Chief Operating Officer at Brafton, which is a creative marketing agency headquartered in Boston. It's a little different today because Meredith is not actually the founder of the company, but she's been there for a long time, worked her way up, and really helped build it from the really small company to a much larger one that it is today. And she has so much knowledge about building out a team and hiring people, figuring out what you need, and and just that behind the scenes of building something into a much larger entity than it was before. And I think there's a lot of behind the scenes information that she can share with us today. So Meredith, I'm so excited to have you on. Thanks for coming. Hi, Alessandra. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to have the chance to chat with you. So it's a little different as I just kind of prefaced because you didn't found the company yourself, but I know that you've had a really kind of large role there for a while now, but start out. um, I mean, I always, no matter what, want to hear somebody's story. So tell us how you got started and what that journey has looked like with, you know, for yourself at Brafton, whatever you did before that and what that's looked like to build to where you are today. Sure. Let's see. So I started at Brafton almost 11 years ago, and I started in the news and content writer role, which is a a copywriting position. It was an entry-level role. And the way that I'd come across it was my senior year of college, I had been a writer and then a web editor for Fuse, which was Ithaca College's marketing magazine. And they were kind of on the forefront of content marketing, actually. For 2008, they were pretty advanced in so far as keywords and um, really visually rich, clickable content. And that was my kind of like paying summer job and after hours job. And Fuse really taught me that I had a writing degree and I wasn't sure if I could see myself in an office, but the experience I had with Fuse really showed me that I loved creative campaigns. I was really into content marketing. I, I liked the, I liked everything about it. And When I moved to Boston, I initially had an internship at a PR organization, but I graduated in 09, which was right at the heart of the recession. And the internship that I had gotten in January, when I got to Boston in May, they were like, you know, we kind of just laid off half of our staff that the internship, which was meant to turn into a paid associate position in September was like going to be unpaid indefinitely. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I was like, I can't afford to do that. So I started waitressing because I'd waitress throughout college and high school and looking for writing jobs. I found Brafton actually on Craigslist, which sounds crazy now. Um, Um, and then at the time when I started in that, uh, copywriter role, there were probably, maybe 20, 25 people in the business altogether. But it was a tremendous growth period for the, for the industry as a whole. Really, what Brafton was doing at the time was 200 word blocks of keyword rich copy. So we were creating content for clients' websites that would help them with their search rankings. And in 2009, that was all you needed to do was post a couple quick, really keyword dense blogs a day yeah. and your, your rankings would, would go up. And then as Google advanced and really started to be able to 
determine in a sophisticated way, like the quality and relevance of content as it related to a search query, we had as an agency, we really had to evolve. At first, we were kind of just like keeping up with Google. And then we were just organically becoming a full service creative marketing agency. Wait, so at first, it was literally the only thing that you offered was 200 word blocks of text, basically. Yeah. Like service or offering of the company. Wow, that's nuts. Yeah, it really is. When I look back on it. um, But you know, for the time, it was kind of cutting edge, which is funny to think about now. Oh my gosh. And so let's see. So I, I, I did that. And then as the company grew, I had the opportunity to to try out different roles. I first moved into a section editor role, which was editorial management, overseeing maybe like 10 to 12 writers and working with their their copy and, and managing the, the client side of the relationship for editorial. And then eventually I moved into a director of production role, which was much more of an operational role that's somewhat akin to what I do now. We had really large numbers of full-time in-house staff. And I was doing a lot of work to balance and project how many hours of client work do we have next month versus how many hours of staff time do we have each month Mm. um, next month to make sure that we we didn't have too many staff and therefore really eat into profitability or too much work and therefore lead to situations in which staff were working really overtime or feeling kind of burnt out so finding ways to create really smooth, organized systems that would calibrate that. And then as we expanded our product set, I got involved with all, you know, building up the teams from helping to build up teams for different departments like video design, consulting, social media, and eventually project management and figuring out how they all work together, how we resource them, what our product set looks like. And then eventually I moved into the role that I'm in today. COO, which I've been in for about two years. Wow. So how do you think, like, I imagine not everybody who started out as a content writer when you did moved up that same way. I mean, obviously there's only one COO, but how do you, what do you think brought you those opportunities or how did you make that happen? Or was it something that you intentionally, you know, went into like, oh, I want to build my way up this company or I want to try all these different roles or like, what did that look like? Oh, I, that's such a great question. I think, I think it was a combination of things. I think that this, uh, I'm definitely not a huge supporter of student loans, but I do think that graduating during a recession, I felt grateful to have a paying job where I was writing. And though entry-level writer salary back then was certainly like, you know, I wasn't raking it in, but I definitely felt a drive to just make sure that I was like, paying my bills and like milking the opportunity for everything I could mm-hmm. essentially. So I think that was a part of it. Also at Fuse, I'd had the experience of moving from like a, a web writer to then my bosses at the time, like giving me a promotion. And I oversaw uh, maybe 10 people as the web editor. So that was my senior year of college and it was a part-time job, but it gave me the experience and confidence to feel like mm-hmm. I know how to manage people. I had felt like I had a, a bit of a knack for communication and organization and like helping teams to, to get things done in an organized way. So I had that experience in, in, in the background for myself. And I think also, you know, there's a little bit of like, I think that if you, if you really don't like the job, it's, it's hard to move forward, but there were, there was something about it that like, it lit up, it lit something up in me and I really was enjoying it, even though it was hard and really challenging. I, I enjoyed the challenges. And I think you, you know, sometimes in, especially with startups, colleagues or other team members can get kind of angry about things that aren't perfect because no startup is anything close to perfect. And for me, I think I would see problems as opportunities to like, figure out a plan, get consensus on how to resolve it, how to move it forward. And I think that like kind of managing up in that sense was really helpful to me because I wouldn't complain. I mean, I I would complain, I'm sure. But I I was, as much as I might um, complain to a colleague, I was also really invested in engaging with my managers and like being brave with my ideas and and take, if they were like, yeah, okay, you want to fix that problem? Like go for it. And Mm -hmm. 
I would just take it and do my very best, even though sometimes I probably was like, you know, feeling a little maybe over my head or overwhelmed, but I, I would, I would do it anyway. And so I think that like approach of feeling like grateful for the job, curious about how we could resolve things instead of like bitter about the fact that they weren't already perfect and just trying to also, you know, enjoying the creative environment, like helped me keep moving forward and and learning new things. Yeah. That's amazing. And I imagine you had to, I mean, you had to get somewhat close with your managers and the people who probably even the founders of the company, right. For them to build that kind of trust in you that you're going to Always yeah. The, like, it just seems like you, yeah, you must have really shown that you're, you want to be a part of this and you want to help it build and grow because it, I mean, as we'll talk about more later, that's what you really helped do. Yeah, definitely. I definitely worked closely with my managers and I think that there were probably, there's moments where maybe I felt like I really had to prove myself and I, I think I did. Mm-hmm. And that then helped me you know, it's like you have to build credibility over time. And sometimes that's a frustrating process because there's always this little voice inside of me that like walks into a situation and I'm like, I know what to do guys. Like everyone can step aside. Um, but when you're like a 22 year old, like someone might not see that in you. So you kind of have to like, you do have to put in the work and, you know, I think it's little things too. It's just, it's like showing up on time, being really professional taking things seriously, being organized, doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Those things go a long way because like, you know, not everybody does that. So especially in a somewhat tumultuous startup environment, just by being like reliable and solid, you're, you're distinguishing yourself. Not, not that that's all I did, but those things can be helpful. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. So tell us like a little bit about what, what your role today looks like. Like what is the chief operating officer position look like for you now? Like what are you doing now day to day um, in terms of, you know, your actual tasks and how you're helping the company and what that all kind of entails? Sure. Well, there, so there are eight main teams at Brafton. There's a, a sales team and account management team. And then there are the creative production and service teams. And when a piece of new business comes on board, they come on board through our sales team and they are immediately handed over to an account manager. And the account manager is responsible for the commercial relationship with the client as well as the overall efficacy of the strategy. So ensuring that we're taking the client's spend with us and, and doing the right stuff with it pursuant of that client's particular KPIs. And so once an account manager creates a, a formal scope of work for a client, they hand it over to the project manager and it's kind of now on my side of the business and so far as the teams I oversee. And that project manager then works with creative production and service teams, which include editorial, video design, social media, and consulting. And so what I do is my day-to-day is working with the managers who report up to me. I'm, I'm a really uh, big believer in frequent one-to-ones. I like to have there are a lot of people who report into me. I have two quick 15-minute check-ins with a week and then maybe one half hour or hour long one-to-one once or once every other week to, to dig into things. And I am helping with things like if we have a really big new client come on board, what do our processes look like from a QA and a resourcing perspective? I'm helping with things like policy decisions and helping with the uh, setting some goals for the individual product heads and team directors. So for example, with our consulting team, if we have goals about how to evolve a particular offering or make sure that we understand how to work in different softwares or maybe creating a, a new consulting product or updating our, our website redesign product, I'll work with the teams on what are the goals for what we're trying to do? Who are the vendors we might work with? You know, what do we need to do over the next six weeks, the next quarter to make sure we get where we need to go? Um, and I also then also do a lot of just team management. So I'm looking at our resourcing numbers, figuring out where do we have pockets of resource that we could use toward other projects or where do we getting to a spot where we need to hire? What are our team structures like overall? I've definitely worked with different team structures and created different configurations over the years to figure out, you know, 
what do the roles look like? What are the opportunities for different staff to progress from an entry level to a mid-level role? Where do we need more management structure? And where might we look to make an internal promotion versus an outside hire for those different managerial roles? And and then working with my managers and teams in just a really like pretty, you know, just like lots of personnel management, figuring out how to have really fun, like positive combos with staff or have more difficult conversations with, with different staff members and supporting managers through that and getting a sense of where they are in their managerial journey and giving them the best advice and support that I can while also making sure we keep the wheels on all of our creative operations. Wow. So it's like, sounds like a lot of planning and a lot of managing. Yes. Yeah. Definitely a lot of both of those things. Do you feel, I mean, is, I don't know if it's mostly like a fairly youngish skewed company, or do you feel like you're sometimes managing people who are a lot older than you and maybe like more kind of feel more experienced in their roles or has that not really been a thing? Um, it's a good question. I think early days we were very young insofar as our average age, we would definitely be in our like mid to low 20s back in the day. Mm. Now I think like as Brafton has matured, so have our staff, some of whom have come along with us, some of whom have joined just us as a more mature company. But insofar as staff members who are perhaps older than me, but somewhere within my reporting structure, I have to say, I really don't, that doesn't give me pause. Mm -hmm. And even when I was like a 24 year old manager, for some reason, it just didn't, um, I, I definitely want to be respectful and mindful and take advantage of experience that, you know, every staff member has, but it doesn't really impact how I, how I manage or approach it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I want to, so it sounds like you, I'm, I'm particularly intrigued by like management of teams, because I think that's something that a lot of us or deal with or kind of like getting into more and more with our businesses um, as we build them. And sometimes as an entrepreneur or, you know, solo business owner, we haven't really dealt with that that much, or at least not in the role of being the actual hiring manager or the person who's having to build out those teams or make sure that everybody's kind of like, you know, working together in the ways that we want them to be or need them to be. Yeah. So I think that's like really kind of interesting, really a useful bit of experience that you have, just that you've been kind of in a role that's dealt with that for so long. So I, I'm so curious to hear more about that, like <laughs> like what your experience has been um, with hiring people and like just making like making teams run smoothly and make sure that everyone's doing the things. It sounds like you've been so strategic, basically, I guess, in like your teams in terms of when it comes to resources and um, skills and how to make everything kind of mesh together in the best way. Does that make sense? Am I, am yes. I kind of inferring that correctly based on our conversation? Yeah, totally. I think that's all, that's all correct. I, I am very strategic and I am a, as you referenced earlier, like I am a planner. I think I'm a pretty analytical person, but also a writer. And so I end up doing lots of like, you know, before I roll anything out to the team, like I've definitely done a lot of like created some documents and, and worked through my own thoughts around how things should look now, how they should look in three months, what the goals are, what the intentions are, worked it through with my boss, worked it through with the managers who would be working with me on this. I'm a big planner in that way, but actually I love team building. I love that early stage of a team where it's like the whisper of what it's about to be. And in my experience, like it can happen. It all comes together really fast. I think my approach is for me, I'm all about clarity and it is really important to first have, if you're working on a new, a new team, for example, like for one of the biggest like team building exercises I did at Grafton probably was the project management role where we had a sense that the account managers were feeling really uh, overwhelmed with the project management work associated with their role. And at the time, they were all working directly with our creative production teams. And we knew that we wanted, uh, it just felt right for a role to come in that would help with that and allow the account managers more time to focus on strategy, while also smoothing things out for the creative teams. And so 
I did a lot of thinking about what a project management role should look like. And we ended up going in a slightly different direction than a lot of creative production agencies. A lot of agencies, the PM role is really like purely administrative. But for me, what was really important is that this role did serve all of the administrative tasks of a project manager, but also was a really strong quality check that it was someone with a creative background who would review every single piece of content before it goes to the client and say, yes, this is on brief. This is ready for the client or no, not, not on brief guys got to redo some pieces. And so it started out kind of, uh, there were two really, really strong writers who I thought would be good at this. And I created a job spec that at the time was called something like specialist editor. And for me, having a job spec is the most important thing because you need to have really clear conversations with either outside hires or potential inside staff who you're moving into a new role so that they have complete clarity on what you're asking them to do. And you also have to be really transparent if it's a slightly fluid situation because you don't want to pull someone from an existing role that they're happy with or another job that they're working outside the company into a role that then in three months time is not what they thought they'd sign themselves up for. Oh yeah, totally. So we, uh, I had this specialist editor role for these two really strong writers and we were kind of like a little island of three for a few months and we were working through things together. Um, they knew like what my goals were for the role. The business at a high level knew the, the goals, but there was in what you were alluding to earlier, there was just so much to work through. And so far as who's responsible for what, how do they all interface and work together in an effective way? How do we do this without pissing everybody off? And so eventually like we arrived at, you know, we worked through processes fairly collaboratively. And I'd say that's a big part of my process too, is like, I can do the background thinking and planning and set the objectives. But then once those are set, it's really helpful to have other people's involvement and input. And then eventually landed on the actual project manager role, the project manager job spec, and did a lot of like rollouts to the business around that. And then started to hire and started to hire people from inside the business and also look to find people who were outside of Brafton who would be interested in a project manager role and, and build that up. And now I think the team is about 11 people, um, one of whom is a manager. Um, and actually, our VP of services started as one of those first specialist editors who then moved, he moved over the years up through different roles at the PM team into his uh, VP role now. Wow. So do you have any tips? Um, like, in, I mean, I love what you said about being really specific with creating that job spec, like knowing what it is you're looking for and what you're asking for them to do. Any tips around kind of being able to match the person to that? Like when somebody comes in or, you know, sends in a resume or comes in for an interview, like, how do you know that they're going to be the right person? Yeah. <laughs> say, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. And, you know, I have that experience or whatever. Yeah. I think, I think hiring can be, it can be daunting, but I yeah. also find it to be really fun and energizing because it's so one, I just love talking to people and hearing about like their professional stories. And sometimes even if they don't end up being a fit for the role, like I'll be happy to have them in my network or I'll learn something from what they say about their current company. I'll like walk that away and be like, Ooh, we could, you know, that's something for Brafton to think about down the line. So I think you, the most important first step is to approach it with like enthusiasm. If you can muster it, even though it's often uh, slightly overwhelming and then also to have a really good process for yourself. So this to me is important because I like process. Mm -hmm. So whatever job app you're using, whether it's like job bite, or if you've just put up an email list that they can email their resumes to from indeed, whatever you're working with, I always go through the system. And then I will every day look in the candidates who I think I like and want to have a phone call with first. I enter them into the sheet. I make notes about why I like them. And then I get a screening call set up where I set up a screening call. And I think when looking at resumes first, for me, like I'm always hiring for even the project manager role is a somewhat creative role. So I suppose there's a, a bit of a bent to that, but some of the roles are more technical in the consulting team. But really, no matter what, there are a few things about even resumes that I look at that I find to be important. Like, can you look at that person's resume? And does it have a sense of like clarity and order for you? Do you have a sense of their particular 
journey and the way that they can articulate themselves? Do they have all the info you're supposed to have? Do they have their email address, their address, their name, the college they went to, or whatever their professional certifications are? That to me is a good indicator of how organized is their thinking. Mm -hmm. And it also too, like it doesn't need to be super fancy or highly formatted. I was just going to ask that. No, like I don't think it needs that, but I, it does need something when it's just like, you know, like sans serif text with no, no structure at all. I will always skip those. Yeah, I was going to say if it's like Times New Roman, just like <laughs> jobs going down the page. Like I always wonder, cause I'm like, I'm sure people, you know, that's the standard probably, right? People are like, don't try to get fancy with it. Just, you know, stick to the basics. But I'm like in a creative type of role. I mean, I mean, I have a PR agency as you know, but it's probably, it's probably less kind of a creative role than what you're usually looking for, but I still consider it to be fairly creative. And like, you know, we do do some content creation and stuff. And I'm like, I feel like I want to be able to see that you can make something look interesting and see this as a chance to stand out because with PR, it's like, you know, your first interaction is basically your, you know, you're pitching yourself, right? To me. So I want to see that you realize that that's an opportunity and you need to do something that's going to catch my eye. Like at least use a little bit of color or like a more interesting format or something. But that's why I was going to ask you that, um, in your more professional opinion, probably about it, because sometimes I'm like, well, I shouldn't, you know, judge them on that too much because that's personal preference to a certain extent. But Well, no, I think in line with what you're saying, especially if you work in some type of branding, like it's how you brand yourself. And actually, you know, there are tons of great templates out there. Like even Google has awesome in your template section. They're totally great resume templates um, Mm -hmm. or Canva, like the free version of Canva. So I don't think people, you know, you don't need to be a whiz in Photoshop to just find something. And I think it also demonstrates that you have some efficacy with platforms you know, which is helpful. And I also, I don't know about you, but I always look at cover letters because there are so many roles now where, or platforms rather, where like on Indeed or Monster or different things where you can kind of click and auto apply to a bunch of different roles. Like you could do like 50 in an hour Mm -hmm. and it'll send your resume, but it won't send a cover letter. And I've found that sometimes you can tell like, if someone has just kind of gone through and is like clicking on anything that looks like potentially of interest, they won't have a cover letter. Yeah. But if they do have one, I really appreciate that they took some time to put some notes together and um, that they've told me a little bit about themselves. And I do think you can really learn a lot from someone by how, you know, even just how they write a note like that. Not again, not like it doesn't have to be like a novel or an amazing, super witty thing. It just has to demonstrate that like, they're an okay writer, really. Right. And just the fact that they thought it was worth their time to spend three minutes putting some sentences down. Yeah. I think like on Indeed, you can have, I I can't remember if it's just like a chance for like an open-ended question or if like one of the questions you could add to the bottom of suggested questions was like, you know, why would you, why are you excited about this role or something like that? Again, I can't remember if that was like an automatic one or if I wrote it myself as like an open-ended question, but it's just like, if people skipped it, you know, I didn't ask that many things. Like I asked like two things, like, do you have the years of experience that we're looking for? And you know, what days are you available for an interview basically? And then this open-ended question. And if you're going to skip it, like, obviously that makes it seem like you don't care that much because it didn't have to be, yeah, even a whole cover letter or like a whole long thing. It could have been two sentences about what you're excited about for the job. So yeah, that for me, I was like, okay, if you're not going to take the time for that, definitely not going to consider your resume. Yeah. Like, and I think those little things are, are meaningful. So if you're, if you're like paying attention to that stuff, I feel like one, it helps you call down. So instead of now like 30 resumes, you've got maybe like 10 that of people whom you're interested to speak to. And then on the screening call itself, I think you have to generally be, you have to know what you're looking for from the role, which is why it's so important to have clarity on the job spec. Like, are you looking for someone who's going to bring energy and enthusiasm and order? I feel like that's like for the PM role, that that's something there. And that's something to be mindful of when, when you're talking to people too. Then when you're on the phone with them, are they asking questions? Are they, you know, do they sound experienced in the 
industry that you're in or relevant to the role? Or is there, you know, how articulate are they? And I think it's difficult because I'm in, so all of these roles that I'm talking about are communications roles. So written communications and oral communications are all something that it's really fair to be like mindful of when, when recruiting for people. I'm sure there are some roles in different industries where one's ability to create a nice templated resume or be really articulate and engaging on the phone are maybe not so relevant. And so, you know, I, I, I'd need a little guidance if I was ever hiring in an industry like that. But I think you can get a real feel for someone if you're really tuned in when you're talking to them to get a sense of the questions they're asking, how they're responding to your questions. And also, you know, I guess to a certain extent in client facing roles, you want to be a little mindful of like, how nervous does this person seem? And I almost hate to say that and put the thought in someone's head because I know if you're nervous, trying not to sound nervous is like, <laughs> the hard, it's just so much worse. But you know, you, if you are someone who's going to be in a role that is client facing, sometimes in complex situations, getting a read on the poise that they have for me is, is important. Yeah. And uh, so then after I've had a screening call, then ideally you've narrowed it down by at least like a third further, you know, then, then it's the interview process and it's, it's probably similar, but to a, a amped up degree of like really just trying to get a sense of who is this person going to be among the team? What are they going to be like to manage? There's definitely some things I pay attention to. Like, for example, for me, it's important that like eye contact is kind of important in meetings. If someone isn't making eye contact with me, I feel a little funny about it. Um, and what's their just ease and their disposition. And there are other couple things too. Like I think I, over the years have probably managed some people that maybe in hindsight, I think had issues with a female boss. And mm-hmm. so if I'm interviewing and I have a male colleague with me doing the interview, I will pay attention to how they interact with him versus how they interact with me. And I think uh, you can really pick up some stuff sometimes if you're um, looking for it. And I also, you know, sometimes I've had different roles where there's a couple roles I've interviewed for that would be working like it's a role I put together. They'd be working super closely with me. I, we have an interview and maybe I bring my boss in for 10 minutes because I'm really eager for his opinion on them too. And then that person will say to me when he leaves, they'll be like, so how did I do? Did I do okay? And on one hand, I want to be supportive of them. I'm like, oh, interviewing is really complex. You did fine. But on the other hand, I, I want to be like, no, like I need to know that you care about how I feel, you know? Yeah. So I think it, depending on the type of role you're hiring for, there's all different things to be paying attention to. And then also for the roles that are for a newer team, like the project management team, just to come back to that example again, you really like in line with them, you know, sometimes you're looking for someone who's entrepreneurial, who's going to come in there and work with you to like figure it out and work through the kinks and really own the process and bring a lot of autonomy and solutions to the position. And so looking for those traits and being mindful of them is really important because if you are looking for that in a role, but you're not upfront about it and you bring in someone who is just expecting to come in and execute on directions, then you're going to be misaligned with each other. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Well, and I feel like that actually kind of goes into the other thing that we had touched on before we started recording, which was like, bringing like as entrepreneurs, like for myself and most of the people listening to this, like we're kind of drawn to others with an entrepreneurial attitude, I think, because we're kind of like, oh, I want to, I just need to hire someone who's exactly like me, right? Like I need another one of me. Yeah. When you're ready for like your first hire, especially I think. And, but then it can get super tricky if, and when you do find someone who's like that. And then it's like, well, actually like I need someone who's going to listen to my direction to go and, you know, be actually a member of a team and not necessarily always need to be in charge of things or things like that. Like it's such a fine line. I feel like it can be so tricky to know which of that you need and like how to kind of manage that correctly. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think it's a really excellent point. And it is something that's complex to figure out because there are some roles where 
the entrepreneurial spirit of this is going to be a challenge. I don't know exactly where it's going to go, but I'm going to work really hard and own this and figure it out is like imperative Mm -hmm. to the management of the team. And sometimes you can bring someone in with that spirit. And sometimes you find someone who's like got a spark and you can help nurture that and cultivate that within them and give them that ownership and that kind of like burning interest to figure it all out. But then I think, you know, what you're hinting at is there's also the other side of that where then sometimes it's complex for people who have that drive and they come in and solve all your problems for you in one area. And then they start to maybe resent the fact that they still have to kind of report to you or listen to you. And working through that can be complicated. I think that in some people that is like a, a stage of their growth, maybe the like resentful talented, autonomous employee. Um, And I think definitely in mid to senior management level roles, there's there's often an imbalance between who the people's hard skill sets and their competencies versus their softer skill sets and their like emotional intelligence. And so sometimes it's like seeing people through that and and working with them and giving them context and perspective. You know, sometimes they might have come in and like solved a a problem for you, but you might've been the one who like laid the groundwork for those solutions or, or set them, you know, helped them along the way. And as a manager, then it can feel really difficult when suddenly you feel like, okay, they're, they're not that interested in what I have to say here. I feel like they're kind of running wild, but on the other hand, you know, I think it, it works itself out over time and either they will get a little wiser perhaps and start to see the greater context that they're working within. Or perhaps they really are someone who has that drive and it's, you know, ultimately reporting to someone else doesn't work for them. And in that case, it's okay to let them go too, because I think one thing a lot of managers go through, especially during building phases, is you start to feel like you have really strong dependencies on different staff members. And that can lead you to want to kind of put up with things or deal with things that in other situations you might not do and uh, like when do you know like how long do you go along with it or whatever before you're like okay this actually just is never gonna work or like how do you try to figure out how to make something work if you think it might and like that's what gets so tricky yeah I mean I think open communication like you have to be able as the manager to totally express your thoughts and what you want from someone and any curiosities or issues might you might have with with how how they're working and how they're managing and some people you know they you'll have those combos and afterwards you'll feel like so good and you'll both be like man I'm so glad we had that conversation like and then it can really reset the relationship and in other instances a really good open communication with someone who's not going to be a fit long term is potentially going to expedite their departure whether it's their decision or your decision but if it's not a fit, you have to let them go because there have been so many times over the years where I've felt a dependency on someone and felt nothing but relief when they were gone and felt grateful for the opportunity to go look for someone else who was a better fit for the role and a better fit for me. So really, I, th- I think you should just never be afraid. Um, don't spend too much time or energy trying to make something that doesn't feel right working because it takes you away from like, it can be, you know, it can be a real energy suck and take you away from like the fun stuff and the good things that, that you're trying to work through. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's awesome. I think we need to keep that in mind because I can see it just dragging on for a long time being like, you feel dependent on someone, especially if you don't, if you have a small team and you don't have that many people and you don't know what you're going to do without, without that person until you find someone else. I wanted to ask, I guess, kind of one other thing, like kind of, I feel like we went from hiring to then like what to do if they don't work out, but what about um, kind of like in between, like when you've added somebody new to the team or just in general with any team, like what are just about kind of building that culture making sure that you, especially going from like a smaller, a smaller company to building out larger to a larger one kind of making sure that that company culture stays the way that you kind of want it or building it out in an intentional way to make sure that you're creating the kind of 
workplace that you want and kind of that energy that you want to be a part of your teams and a part of your group and how that can be kind of, I don't know, it seems like it could be tricky to kind of hold on to that and keep it the same way that you want it as you start building out and adding more people and just different personalities to the mix. Like, I feel like you probably have experience with that. I'm curious to hear what you would say. Yeah, I think it's, it's really hard in my experience. I think that there are a few things that organizations can do that are just like your core principles of how you like, what are your employee policies? And, and that can point to your values. Um, you know, what are your parental leave policies? How, what are your sick leave policies? How do you invest in training? And what does the environment feel like in the office? And those things are, are really important. Um, like basic, you know, super foundational frameworks, because if you don't have those things right, then it's hard to to get the other stuff right. Mm -hmm. And then the other bit of it, you know, it's complicated because on one hand, it maybe does come back to hiring because you have to bring in the right people because it can be really hard to like keep hold of as things grow, you are going to, you're going to lose some, some, you're going to lose some control and you have to trust that the managers that you've bestowed some of your like, you know, power to are going to be making the best decisions they can in real time, being strong managers and strong communicators, managing down to their teams and escalating up to you if something comes up or if there's something that people are not happy about. And so I think like, you know, spending a lot of time talking with your managers about the goals and spending the necessary time to work through different personnel problems can go a long way to ensuring that problems are dealt with in a timely manner and people are feeling heard and appreciated for sure. And I think that, that, you know, back to like, everyone needs a clear job spec. It's also ideal if they can have clarity on like what direction you're all moving in and what they can do to support that because people want to feel like they want to know how their work contributes and how their actions matter. And so if you can help to ensure that they don't just have quotas, but that they have a, a sense of purpose, that that's like the, that's the ideal. That's helpful. And then really doing your best to make sure that the managers that you've put in place are, are strong and are representing you well and are representing the, the company well. Because as time goes on and as the teams are bigger, you start to become much more removed from the day-to-day of different, like more entry-level or contributor-level roles and even team meetings. And you really have to trust and rely on this, your management team to ensure that like they're going to get the important messages back to you and that you can get your messages out to the teams through them in an effective way. Yeah. What do you think are like, do you have any specifics of or suggestions on like what kinds of things those would be in terms of um, like the recognition or making sure people feel like ways to make people feel that higher purpose or things like that? Well, I think that it's important that you ask and you do your best to really get a sense of what will resonate with that particular team. Because I think sometimes managers can come in with like incentive plans or goals or like employee recognition programs that feel maybe they fall flat with the actual staff, Mm -hmm. Um, but they themselves might have ideas about what is going to make them feel good and what they're going to have fun with. Like at Brafton, for example, um, some of our like managers and staff staff members themselves started this thing called Festicle, which is a, it's like a quarterly kind of celebration of the work that we've done over the quarter. Uh, It started just with our video manager and the video team, and they would do like a, a viewing of their favorite videos that they'd made for clients over the quarter. And then slowly the other team started to get involved. And it had become such kind of almost like an informal, you know, it was like not exactly like Brafton management, like, you know, exec level management organized. But what we ended up doing was getting involved and making it like our formal quarterly celebration where we could give out awards and provide people with recognition and maybe give them more budget for like snacks and things. And that actually, that opportunity for them as creatives to like, have fun with each other and share the work that they're most proud of 
was way more impactful for them than us giving out like quarterly plaques. <laughs> so um, sometimes it's like responding to what the team wants. And other ways too, it's like making sure that from a financial perspective that everyone's incentivized in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And making sure that all teams have opportunities or bonus plans if possible that are going to align with like revenue growth. Because if only your commercial teams are incentivized in that way, then in my experience, the creative production teams feel like left out and not as incentivized to kind of, they're not aligned insofar as what the priorities are and and how to problem solve. So like doing your best to ensure equal Um, or at least aligned comp plans for the business, listening to what they want um, insofar as what's going to make them feel good and recognized and making sure that everybody has clarity on what the business's goals are overall so that everyone kind of at least knows what direction they're all trying trying to move to together, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. No, I think it really does. I think, and it's kind of inspiring to <laughs> hear you say that because now I'm like, I need to put all this stuff down on paper because so much of that is just in your head when you're, you know, the business owner, I think, or especially if you don't have much of a team yet or don't have full-time staff or things like that. And those are things that I think you need to have, even if it is just you, or even if it is just, you know, you're making your first one or two hires. Like it seems like it's important to start, start those things from the beginning and be clear with all of that stuff and help make sure, make sure that people are going to, the people you do bring on are going to feel like they are a part of it. Yeah. And I guess one other final thing I'll say on this bit is that when I think back to like early, like the early days of every team, I remember feeling grateful for like the super talented one or two people who were like right there in the trenches with me. But what you have to also be building is something that is not like particular personnel dependent. Because actually, when I think of all those people, some of them went on to different organizations where like they took that role and parlayed it into something even more challenging and cool for themselves, or they moved into different managerial roles at Brafton. But like the people will always be in and out and fluid and you have to create structure that is not reliant on a person, but is instead reliant on the system that you're creating with those different roles and how they all interact together. And, and I think that there can be a scary moment maybe where you've like just got things down, but like you're this one key person that you feel like has been so imperative to everything working is like gives their notice Like you really have to trust in the systems that you built and that the people who come in will have just as many interesting like ideas and abilities as the people who are on their way to other projects. Yeah, that's so good to keep in mind. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. This is so good. Is there anything else kind of on on that note or on those notes that you want to share? I guess before I ask you one final thing. No, I, I think, I think that's everything. Although I'm sure I'll wake up tonight and be like, Oh, I wish I'd said one more thing <laughs> on that, but no, I think we covered it. So you have, I know the entrepreneurial kind of spirit too. And, um, you're, you have the project. I want you to share for a minute about your project with the, um, the written series. Yeah, oh, I'd love to. Um, so I'm doing a series of interviews with women who work in marketing, PR, or some element of personal branding, many of whom are entrepreneurs themselves and started their own organization. I'm talking with people who are like podcasters and or personal stylists or career coaches and just getting to hear a little bit about like their personal professional journeys and how they got into what they're in now and what advice they have for other women who are you know, interested in maybe like building up a similar brand for themselves and the marketing focused written version of this podcast. So I yeah. love it. <laughs> um, and so I, yeah, I, I, it's been so much fun. What I'm really, I mean, I love, I, you know, I love having this convo with you. I love talking to women about work and getting a sense of what makes them tick. And it's been so also energizing and inspiring for me to hear about all these different women who kind of like really followed their own inner voice and their own personal passions and did something kind of brave and 
um, got to to have that fun experience for themselves. So it's been really awesome. And I've, I've also learned a lot. There are some things I went into it thinking, like, for example, I've been asking people about imposter syndrome and I kind of thought like, oh, everyone's going to say they have imposter syndrome, but actually no, (laughs) most people are like, no, not me. And reflecting about it, I think that perhaps it's because a lot of these women are are doing something that's so true to themselves, uh, as opposed to maybe a more corporate style work role where you're kind of more of just an archetype and, you know, maybe how you relate to your own job spec or something is a little different than a role you'd create yourself. So it's been a really fun, really fun project and I'm posting them on LinkedIn. So if anyone wants to check them out, you can just connect with me on LinkedIn or follow me there. And also I'm uh, promoting them on my Instagram, which is just MJ Farley. Awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. I think, yeah, we should all go check those out and follow along and get to know some other awesome women. And I'll have to look through it. Maybe I'll get some ideas for people who should be on the podcast too. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, no, I love it. So tell, I mean, you just mentioned the Instagram, but is there anywhere else that people can find you or connect with you in general if they have questions or want to just get in touch with you or become friends online or anything like that? Instagram is good. I'm actually, I'm kind of working on my brand there a little bit. So that might look different in a few months, but at MJ Farley, I'm also on LinkedIn all the time. Just Meredith Farley, COO at Rafton. Um, you can find me there or message me and also just Meredith Farley at gmail.com is my email. And I'm also on email all the time and I'd love to hear from anybody. Okay, good. Yeah. I love that. I always want to make sure that people feel really open to actually like reaching out to guests who have been on the show and ask questions or just further connect. Cause sometimes you listen to podcasts and you love hearing the person, but you're like, oh, I could never actually like reach out to them or, you know, they feel like a little out of reach. So that's what I always want to create with this show is that people feel like they've gotten to know you and now they could just shoot you a message and say hi. Yeah, I'd love that. Appreciate you saying that. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about this stuff. I'm feeling a lot more empowered in my personal hiring process now. and. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much. I think people are going to have found this conversation so useful. Thank you so much, Alessandra. I loved it. I love getting to chat with you. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the Female Millennial Entrepreneur Podcast so you won't miss the next episode and leave a review on iTunes with your favorite takeaway from this episode. Also, don't be shy to get in touch with me or anyone you heard on the show. We're all about connecting and our Instagram handles and other links are always in the show notes and we're always happy to hear from you with thoughts, ideas, or even suggestions of someone you'd love to hear me talk to on the show. You can also submit guests online at polinapr.com slash podcast. Lastly, please drop a comment on the post for this episode on the podcast Instagram at Female Millennial Entrepreneurs to let me know you listened. Tune in next time.